All right, let's do this. Um, we are in week five of This Is Us. Um, let me just quickly explain what This Is Us means. This is our series at the gathering. We're kicking the year off talking about um, things that make us who we are. Does that make sense? Um, if you've been with us, you're like, I've heard this every week. Of course I get it. But in case you're tuning in for the first time, uh, you're here with us for the first time, just want to make sure that you know. So every week we're talking about like we are and then fill in the blank. Um, just, we've done, we are his, we are generous, we are family, and we are planted. That was last week. Um, all those weeks, now listen, they're all true about, just they should be true of every Christian on the planet, right? Every Christian on the planet should be those things. Um, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes people don't live that way. But what we want you to know is, as you become more and more planted and rooted as a member and a, a family member of the gathering, this is who we are. Right? I think sometimes um, we try to, well, I've, I've never been on a blind date. I don't know. And if you have, don't raise your hand. Um, but can you, you know, like, if you've ever been on a blind date and you sit down and, like, you know within three minutes this is not going to go well. Like, what am I doing here? And holy cow, I wish I'd have known. What we try to do is we want to we keep that from happening for you. As you become more and more part of the gathering, well, here's what we know is going to happen. You're going to fall madly in love with Jesus, and you're going to probably fall madly in love with who we are as a church. Now, you've been here long enough to know that we're not perfect, which is what we're talking about today. But you know that, like, you like it here or you wouldn't still be coming here. So we want to make sure you know, man, this is who we are. You can trust this is who we are. And that way you don't have this moment two or three weeks from now where you go, ooh, well, if I'd have known that, right? And which is sometimes what happens on these blind dates. So uh, th these four things we've talked about, they're, they're, I almost knocked that into the front row. That would have been awesome. They're true of everybody. But today what we're talking about is I want to highlight the word we, okay? Because what we've talked about to this point, it's possible that you are like, yeah, I see it. That's exactly how the gathering is, but I don't know if I'm that way. Let me just explain what I'm talking about. Let's just take uh, that first week, we are his. We, we talked about the H word of holiness, right? And I told you, like, at the gathering, we value holiness. Not a lot of places are saying that because we get scared about that. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean I, there are certain things I can and can't do? We just value being set apart to God. Like we talked about Olympic athletes, how they are holy because they set themselves apart to winning the gold medal. So there's some things that they won't do, not because they're legalistic, but because they just want to win gold, right? And we value that. But we also recognize this, that not everyone who attends the gathering is necessarily living a life where they've decided to set themselves apart to holiness. So we can say at the, at the gathering, we value holiness we value being his and theoretically you could come to the church and be like yay for y'all right that doesn't apply to me um generosity I shared with you a couple weeks ago just all the ways that God allowed us to be generous um, because that's who we are as a church we are generous we value this one of our values says that we value simpler living and believe that simpler living will enable us to do greater giving so we value this tremendously, and so every year, like, we don't set the bar low, like, as a church, we'd like to give 10% to missions or invest 10% in partnerships with people that are reaching. We, 10%, what's that? So we, we started this church saying we want to do 20, right? Like, that was always our goal. And so um, last year, you know, it was COVID, and it was crazy and, like, whatever. 
we don't stop being generous. We said, hey, we're going to push through. We're going to be generous anyway with what we have. We're going to do what we can with what we have. And one of the stats that I share with you that really made us just want to, I wouldn't want to share it with everybody because I love how this brags on God, it brags on you, is that last year in 2020, we invested more in missions and outreach than we did in our building. And I love that. Like that, you honestly, if you haven't been around a lot of churches, you won't understand what an amazing statement that is. But we gave away more in missions and outreach than we put in payments for this stuff. And I love that. But here's the truth. And I told you this that day, so it won't be a shock. Not all of y'all are generous. Is it okay to say that? (laughs) I mean, some of you are learning to be generous. But what we believe is because we as a church are generous, you're going to get infected with our DNA. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm getting infected. It's a good infection, right? Like you're going to get infected with our DNA. And so you're going to find yourself, if you haven't been a part of giving at the gathering, like do we beat you up over that? No. Do we talk every week about money? No. We just set the example as an organization, as a church, because we just believe that God gave and he wants us to give. And we're going to take what we have and we're going to give it away. And if you give more, we're going to give more away. That's just who we are. We're generous. And so some of you are going to be like this year. You're going to find yourself just doing generous things. But right now, as you sit here, you're like, I don't really give a lot. So we are generous might not be a statement about you, but it is about us. Does that make sense? I hope so. I did all that to tell you that today what we're talking about is applies to everybody. So just tell the person next to you, this is about you. You've always wanted to say that, right? You've always wanted to say this is about you. And it really is. Because this applies to all of us, because today we're talking about how we are messy, and every one of us is messy, whether we want to admit it or not. I was thinking about, like, what messes have I known in my life, right? And I've known a lot of messes. Um, A lot of them are my own making. I I thought about third grade, uh, Ms. Raxdale's class in third grade, and we were taking a test, and during the test I needed to go to the bathroom, and so I, I raised my hand, as all good students do. And she called on me, yes, Paul, and I said, Ms. Ragsdale, can I please go to the bathroom? And if you're a teacher, you know I was supposed to say may. But anyway, whatever. May I please go to the bathroom? And she said, no, we're in a test. And I was like, okay. So I squeezed my butt tighter together and kept taking my test. And I raised my hand again. Uh, Ms. Ragsdale, may I please go to the bathroom? No. <laughs> a little tighter. Kept taking the test. And this went back and forth a little bit until finally a person next to me raised their hand. And Ms. Ragsdale said yes. And he said, Ms. Ragsdale, something stink. (laughs) And it was me. (laughs) I'm the one that stinks, Ms. Ragsdale. (laughs) And it's a mess, right? We're all like that. Like there's messes everywhere, right? And so this morning what I want you to see is, is that God looks at us and says, I recognize that you are messy. This is not a message that doesn't apply to you. No matter where you are on the following Jesus spectrum, I have a lot of boldness to look at you and say, you are a mess. We are messy. So my goal this morning is to quickly show you how messes are in the Bible and that God came for messes. Okay, are you ready? If you're a note taker, tons of things to write down. Here we go. Number one, let's talk about messes in the Bible. See if we can find some, and we will because there are tons of them. Um, let's just run through them really quick. Adam and Eve, you've probably heard of them. They managed to throw away perfect union with God. 
for union with a liar. It created a little bit of a mess. Noah celebrated God's faithfulness after the flood by getting drunk and naked. Some of y'all are like, I want to go to that party. Abraham lied about his wife and said that she was his sister twice. Samson loved women a lot. Moses got angry a lot. David had an affair and tried to hide it by ordering a hit on the woman's husband. It's in the Bible. Some of y'all are like, I need to read that book more. Jonah got mad at God for being kind when people repented. That's crazy, y'all. He preached about repentance, and then they repented, and he got mad at God about it. And messes in the Bible aren't just limited to individuals. Those are like individuals. And how many of you know this? If you take one messy person and put them with another messy person, it tends to get messier, right? I mean, I don't want to hit too close to home, but some of y'all, this is what happened to you. Some of y'all know people that their marriages weren't that great, and they were like, I got an idea. Let's have a kid, right? And it's like, uh, no, that, <laughs> no, that will not make it better. So here we sit in a room with a lot of messy people. Guess what happens when messy people get together and make a big group? A big mess. And in the Bible, it's the same way. Just in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 5, and we'll walk through Acts a little bit. This is the story of the early church. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offering and got killed by God. That created a mess. I've never seen somebody zapped by lightning. I'm just assuming, like, if somebody's standing at the altar and then, and it's just human ashes and eyeballs. That's got to be a mess, right? Uh, Can we get somebody to come clean this up? (laughs) Clean up on aisle three. Acts chapter 6, one group of believers accused another group of believers of discrimination. Some of y'all think the Bible's not relevant. It's very relevant. In the early church, there was one group that said, wait, you like their, you like that group of people better than you like our, like their women are getting food and our women aren't. Like, what's up with that? It's, it's a mess. Acts chapter 10, Gentiles received the gospel. And that was a huge deal because the Jews felt like it was only for them. And then the Gentiles started coming to faith in Jesus. And so this created a problem. The Gentiles were coming to, the, to Jesus. They received the gospel. They received the Holy Spirit. Nobody quite knew what to do with it, so Peter ate with them. As a Jewish man, ate with them. It was a little bit messy. They weren't quite sure what was going on. And then in Acts chapter 15, five chapters later, only five chapters later, all the bigwigs in the church got together to try to figure out what should we do with the Gentiles. They still didn't know what to do with them. It was a mess. And in Galatians chapter 2, by the time that Paul wrote Galatians, it was still a mess. Because... I love this about the Bible. It's so real. Peter, y'all know Peter? So Peter, he, he says to Jesus, you know, Jesus says, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And he's like, well, I say you're the Christ. He said, basically, you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the person we've been waiting for. And Jesus said, you're exactly right. And on that confession, on that truth that I am the Christ, we're going to build the church. So would that make Peter important? It seems like it would. Like, he got the revelation, and like, holy cow, like, wow, he gets it, and we're going to build the church on that confession. And then in Galatians chapter 2, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, calls Peter a hypocrite. Y'all, you're not getting this. 
I've seen people call you hypocrites, and you lose your mind. Let somebody cut you off in traffic. You lose your mind and possibly your salvation. Um, you, you get forgiveness and God saves you and it's all good, right? But in that moment, I've seen people lose their minds over just that, like a long Walmart line. Are they not going to bring somebody else? The sign says if there's at least six people waiting, they'll open up an aisle. There's 20 of us right here. I mean, I've seen people lose their brains over this stuff. Paul called Peter a hypocrite in the Bible for everyone to read for all time. Man, there's messes in the Bible, y'all. The Bible is full of messes because the Bible was written to messy people. And then we come to the church. Are there messes in the church? <laughs> yeah, one of them is preaching right now. There are messes in the church. I don't know if you realize that almost every letter in the New Testament addressed messes in the church. So here's just a, a quick list. Galatians was written because there was a temptation to earn your salvation by what you did, not because of Jesus. And so that letter was written to, to deal with that. Second Thessalonians, there was a belief that Jesus would, re, would return immediately and destroy their enemies. Don't you love Christians, Jesus is returning soon, and he's going to kill you, right? You're my enemy, and he's going to get you. It was written just to deal with that. Like, maybe we shouldn't think that way. First Corinthians, too many messes to even name. Um, uh, like, holy cow. Um, anyway, mostly it came from incorrect beliefs and morals. Second Corinthians, Paul shows us the stress of not being honored as a real apostle. I love that. I can so relate to that. Please keep your opinions to yourself when I make this next statement, but I don't usually feel like a real pastor. I don't know what a real pastor should feel like, of course, but I'm pretty sure it's not me. Like sometimes I'm like, if they really knew, right? And I think like Paul writes this entire letter of 2 Corinthians basically saying, hello, Y'all, like, I'm a real apostle. God called me. The things that I'm saying are from the Holy Spirit. Maybe you should listen. Do you not know that I've gone through all these things? And he starts listing them. And it's all because this, this church wouldn't honor him, recognize that God was using him. That's a mess. Romans, Jews and Gentiles are both Justified by faith in Jesus. That was a book written to say, look, these Gentiles are legit. Um, Philemon is a very short book that dealt with slavery. Again, some of us think that the Bible is not relevant. It doesn't, it doesn't speak to our culture. Like, that's a hot topic, should be a hot topic. It needs to be talked about in our churches and in culture. And it was talked about in the Bible before it was ever a hot topic here. And God deals with this stuff. It's a mess. The Bible has messes all the way through in the Bible and in the church. Um, Colossians addresses having a low view of who Jesus is. Now, I've, I youth pastored during this, um, this movement where, like, people would say, and, and I'm telling you if, this, if you said this, it's okay, but we'll correct it. Like, Jesus is my homeboy. Remember that? Like, they had trucker hats, 
Some of you might have one of those. Colossians was written to tell the church that Jesus is not your homeboy. He's your king. Like, yes, he's our friend, and he relates to us, and we can understand him, and it's good to follow him, but he ain't my homeboy, right? He's my king. That's what the whole book was written about. First Timothy and Titus were both written to warn about false teachers in the church. These are examples of historical messes in the church, but let's talk about current messes in the church. The early church had different takes on circumcision. Huh. We want to talk about what that is. We have different takes on racism, on politics, on the environment, on mental health. The list could go on. There are so many issues in our culture right now that are also in the church. And we, we find ourselves sometimes in huge messes over it. I mean, I... I hope it's okay to be this transparent, but you know that I've just lived through a year where I can't win. I can't say the right thing the right way to make everybody happy. It's like giving a State of the Union address and make sure you say this hot word one or five or six times so that I can clap. It's like, this is crazy, y'all. And that's where we are right now. And, and here's the thing that I want you to understand. Like, God understands that church is messy. It's supposed to be messy because the people you're sitting next to are messy. And it's okay. And God's not running away because of that. He's not scared because of that. The biggest messes, though, are not issues. And I really want you to understand that. The biggest messes in the church are people. We are the messy ones. And I want you to remember that God came to the mess for the mess. So because of that, here's the last thing I want you to remember. that Because he came to the mess for the mess, and who's the mess? Me, right? Me. Because he came to this mess for this mess, then I don't have to be afraid to put my mess in his hands. So let's talk about putting our messes in God's hands. This is what Paul did. This is, um, you've been waiting on me to get to Scripture. We're there finally. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul took his mess and gave it to God. I was reading verse 7, getting ready for this message, and do you ever just read the Bible and you're like, holy cow, I, never, I don't think I ever saw that was there. And here's what it says. Paul says, um, I have received wonderful revelations from God. Now, in today's culture, when a leader gets wonderful revelations from God, do you know what happens? They start a podcast. They get a book deal. They grow a mega church. They get asked to speak everywhere. And, and I'm not throwing off on that because, to be honest with you, I'd love all that to happen. But when Paul got a revelation from God, look what it says next. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. We've all read that. But the next words are what really got me. A messenger from, I'm sorry, who? Satan. I was like, wait, do what? You, you, <laughs> exactly. You can ask Wendy. This is our conversations a lot uh, lately. I'll come home from a run, and I've, like, listened to some Bible stuff, and I'll say to her, like, I, I don't know 
what this means, but I never noticed this in the Bible before, and I'll tell her about it, and she'll be like, that's, wow, like, what does it mean? I don't know. I don't know what, I think I'm supposed to have an answer. That's why I don't feel like I'm a real pastor. I think I'm supposed to have the answer, but I don't have the answer. All I can tell you is like, wait, Paul had a messenger from Satan, and God let it happen. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Satan, and God let that happen. And, and so Paul did the same thing that you and I would do. Three times, I begged the Lord to take it away, right? I begged him, take this away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that my power, so that the power of Christ can work through me. I want to make sure you get this. He's saying Bring on more weakness because the more weakness I have, the more power I have flowing through me. I want to make sure that I clarify this too because we've messed up the word sin in our culture. We've kind of um, put sin and weakness together. So like if we were going to have an uh, open mic night and I said, hey, if you just want to come grab the mic and confess, you might walk up and go, I just want to thank God. He loves me and I just want to confess that I've got a real weakness with and then you fill in the blank of whatever your struggle, your sin might be. But sin is not weakness, y'all. There are people who are weak because they are sinning. And the answer to that is repentance. That's back to week one, we are his, we are holy, right? We're setting ourselves apart to him. The weakness that Paul's talking about isn't sin. God will never tell you, hey, keep that sin because it'll keep you humble, right? He wants us to ask him for forgiveness for that and to leave sinful things. But we're always going to be faced with weakness. Like We're always going to look at our lives and say, I'm a mess. Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, and he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm a mess, so for Paul to say, like, I've been given a messenger from Satan, I don't, maybe you're smarter than me, but that seems messy. If one of you came to me and said, I, um, Pastor, I need counseling. Okay, let's talk about it. I have a messenger from Satan. Well, let's get the deliverance ministry. And I've got about 500 bottles of oil that we're going to dump on top of your head right now, right? That's how we would respond. So if Paul had come to me, I'd have been like, let's pray that out, buddy. And he said, well, I did that three times, and God said, keep it. What? Well, you're the pastor. Help me understand this. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. Except apparently it's a good thing to be weak because God's power is made perfect in it. And that's just Paul, right? Let's talk about Jesus who three times prayed to not go to the cross. Like left heaven to come to the cross. Y'all know that, right? Is this, are you getting this? He left heaven, Philippians chapter 2. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He left heaven specifically to come to the cross. And when it was time to go to the cross, he said, time out, Father, is there any other way? Like a trip to Dunkin' Donuts. Could that heal people of their sins? Could we do that? God's like, no, it's the cross, okay? I just want to ask one more time. Starbucks, would that work? No, it's got to be the cross. Three times. Is there any other way? So even Jesus understood weakness. He understands how hard the cross was messy. It was painful. He understood that. 
So what do we what do we learn from the fact that Paul would surrender his mess to God's hands and that Jesus did as well? Well, one, we learn we should do that, right? So I don't know what your messes are, but you should probably put them in the hands of God. And here's why. Here's your big idea. Because God takes messes and turns them into messages. The messes in your life, he wants to speak to people through your messes. Through your weakness, he turns messes into messages. And that's exactly what Paul found out in verse 10. He said, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I, I, know, some of, I know some of the people that are joining us online, I know that they are in situations that are making them feel weak. And, and historically, here's what the church has done for you guys. Well, let's just pray about that one. Let's just ask God, just take it away. But apparently, what we should be praying is that his power would be perfected in your weakness. Because God's not afraid of the mess. And it's in the mess, y'all, in the mess that he gets glory. So let's wrap this up. Oh, we're messy. We're not saying that we love messes so much that we want you to stay messy, right? What we are saying is that you can come as you are to the gathering. What we are saying is that we are committed to creating a culture where you can come and worship Jesus with people who don't vote like you. Who don't agree with you on every topic in culture today. With people who might hashtag differently than you. And with a pastor who gets to figure all that out. And more often than not is going... <laughs> Right? Like, uh, what? It's okay. I relate to Moses, man. Moses saying to God, uh, you got to pick somebody else. I cannot be your, cho I cannot be your choice. I cannot be your choice, right? I think that's what he said. I, I get it. Do you, do you resonate with that? Do you sometimes look at God and say, God, not me? Not me, Lord. There's no way. And yet he, he picks people who don't think they should be picked. I was listening to a book this week, and he closed with talking about um, a conference that he saw advertised. It was a Christian conference, and, and I can't remember all the descriptions, but it was like one of those conferences that says, hey, this conference is for all the, and then he had this long list of stuff, like, you know, if you're like a cultural architect, if you're a leader, if you're, a, and it was all these like influential person and he just thought, man, I, I could never go to that. Like, that's, I'm not that. And so he thought, can you just picture God looking down on that conference and seeing all these people who just feel like they're all that in a bag of chips and God trying to pick which of those people he wants to use to display his power and glory through? And, and he didn't pick any of them. And then the conference is over and they all leave. And when they walk out, this sweet little Hispanic woman walks in and she starts cleaning up the conference room 
where all those powerful people just met. And God looks at her and says, yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm going to choose. That's the one I'm going to use because that's the one that no one would ever believe I would use. Listen, there are things that you and I are going to go through in our lives that are going to make us feel weak. And instead of us running from that, I'm calling you to embrace it. To just simply say to God, I don't like to feel weak. I don't like to not have an answer. But here's the deal, God. If this displays your glory through me more, bring it on. Bring it on. We don't, we don't find Jesus dealing with messy people in classrooms. We find him dealing with messy people in living rooms. It's in living rooms that a rejected woman poured oil on his feet. It's in a living room where sinners and tax collectors gathered around him. A table is where he shared his life with his followers and where he pointed to his death through communion. You know, we're going to finish this morning with communion. You've got your cups, I think. You got them on the way in. And I want you to know this, that even, even as we celebrate communion, you know what we're doing? We're pointing to something that re exposed weaknesses. So this morning, we're going to bring our messes to his table, right? It's a table that was built for messes by the very hands that can transform messes into messages. Come as you are and find yourself becoming more than you were. I love this. Listen, you're not defined by your mess. You're refined through your mess. But only if we recognize that we're messes, right? Only if we recognize it. Now, here's how this is going to happen. Um, we're getting ready to share communion together. And those of you that are watching online, um, I'm going to pray over you. And when I say amen, your stream's going to go away. Because what we're going to do in the house, we can't do online because of copyright stuff. Um, when we finish that, then how we're going to prepare for communion this morning. So I'm just going to have them play a song for you called Mercy. Um, and those of you that are at home, you can look this song up. Mercy by, oh my goodness, Chris Renzema. Is that how you say his name? Did I nail it? Sweet. Um, just look that up on YouTube if you want to hear this song later. But um, I'm going to pray over the live stream if that's okay with you. And then we're going to prepare ourselves for communion. Lord, I thank you for those that have joined us online. Um, I know many that have joined online wish that they were here. And it's just not possible right now. And so I pray that you would draw near to them today, God. I pray that um, as, as they experience things that make them feel weak, God, that they would see your power being perfected in their weakness. It's not a popular prayer. It, it drives us to our knees more than anything else. But man, God, it displays who you are. The goodness that we sang about earlier is displayed in our weakness. And so I just pray over them, God, as they receive communion at home, that they would know that they are loved and welcomed at the table by the, the God who knows them better than anybody else. We love them. We bless them, God, in your name, Jesus. Amen.